Many of the stories in this series contain difficult subjects and traumatic events. Listener discretion advised. In just a moment, we're going to hear our next story from Georgia. And I hadn't known her too long when she came into the Opal Nights projects, but I had met Georgia through poetry. And I know that a lot of her poetry is hilariously funny and some of it is appallingly sad. And it has often made Georgia nervous to share uh, that sad side of her poetry and that harder side of life. Um, Her words speak for herself, so I'll let you listen to her story. Hello. (laughs) Um, I was trying to think of a way to describe how I've felt my entire life, so let me set you the scene. You know in the Hallmark Christmas movies where all the stereotypically beautiful people are cuddled on the sofa with a hot chocolate in their hands, all smiling and laughing, and then looking through the window is the baddie, who normally is the not-so-stereotypically pretty, in fact, probably considered ugly by societal norms. Well, I've always felt like that. I am the one looking through the window. My name is George, and I am 36. I can't tell you a lot about my younger years, but I'm assured they were happy. I was born into a two-parent family, not rich, but not destitute. I can remember that I've always been different. I've always been the loudest, the most sensitive, the chubbiest, the pale white girl with the crazy afro. Throughout the years, I've been diagnosed with ADHD, BPD, and schizoaffective disorder. But to quote the queen of Britain's Got Talent, Susan Boyle, that's just half of me. (laughs) I've never had a talent. I cannot draw or play play an instrument, and my singing and dancing are bordering on criminal. I've never been one to be invited to parties. In fact, once I was invited to a party, only to turn up and have everyone laugh because I was stupid enough to believe that I was invited. I thought I'd found my place when I started playing football. I was good, really good. I was the best, in fact. The best of any team I played for, and I was scouted. I mean, women's football then wasn't what it is now, which is a shame, as I know I would have gone far. I know the people here that know me will be quite shocked that I've actually found something positive to say about myself, and trust me, I am too. Although I was in the team, I wasn't one of the team. I would turn up to matches and hear all about the sleepovers and shopping days that they had had and I had not been invited on. Recently, I watched the Elton John film and there was a line in it that has resonated within me more than anything I've ever heard. Introverted extrovert. And it hit me. That's me. Severe anxiety, complete introvert. Until I have to go somewhere or be with people and I'll put on my extrovert extrovert mask. I don't want to be here, but if I am, I'm going to be the fucking star which obviously doesn't help with people not liking me because I'm a loud, obnoxious gobshite. (laughs) I was horrifically bullied in junior school and the beginning of secondary school. I didn't have the right clothes for the popular kids, and I was still weird and just different. The boys bullied me because I was a tomboy who played football. The girls bullied me because I was a tomboy who played football. I was lost. It was a dark, miserable, stranded place. I wasn't clever enough to fit in with the brainy kids. I wasn't musical arty, so I couldn't find solitude with those groups either. I did the only thing I could do to make me feel safe. I joined the bullies. I soon got kicked out of school and I became an absolutely vile cunt. Said and done horrific things that were never me, never who I wanted to be, and never whom I'd want to be again. 
By the time I finished school, through my behaviours, actions and attitude, I had burnt all my bridges. I was living in a homeless hostel, off my tits on drugs and alcohol, and spending far too much time in the police cells. I was given a very stark warning by those that cared for me that something needed to change or that I would end up in prison or dead. I'm not sure what they meant by that mind, though, was to get pregnant. <laughs> so I'm 16, pregnant and in a hostel. Everyone was worried. Everyone thought me having a baby would be a shit show of epic proportions. The baby's dad was never going to be a dad. He was barely human. But, but me being me, I knew best, and fuck everyone, I was going to have this baby, and this baby was, would be a superhero. While being pregnant gave me something to focus on, the issues in my head were still there. In the words of the Queen of Big Brother, who is she? And, and I still had no idea. I tried to fit in with the other young hostel mums. While going out for lunch was fine, I was always an imposter in the conversation. As inevitability, as inevitable, the conversation would be about which fit Hollyoaks actor they wanted to fuck. And I'd just nod along agreeing, but inside was the massive queer wanting to escape. On the subject of sexuality, I'd come out fairly young, but spent my teens and early 20s doing the homosexual hokey-cokey. In, out, in, out, in, out, depending on who I needed to fit in with and whichever crowd I happened to be with at the time. The next 13 years were a cycle of me repeatedly moving house, telling everyone how it was such a great opportunity, but in reality running from my problems. Navigating new schools for kiddo, and with new school comes new playground mums. And I think it's safe to say that don't impress me much. Thanks, Shania. The, the playground mums are collectively the biggest group of bullies you could ever meet. I was always one of the youngest mums. I was always in a tracksuit and I never wore makeup. I might as well have turned up naked for how they stared at me in the corner. A thing that was often brought up to me was why I'd never had a relationship. I'd answer on default that I couldn't think of anything worse, having someone around me constantly, nope, not for me. The reality was, who would love me? Fat, crazy, fucked up, no one. And then I met someone, and for four-ish years, we had a very on-off, volatile relationship, and in hindsight, it was a catastrophe. And eventually, I came to realise this. I left the relationship with even less self-worth than I'd had before it started. But rather quickly after, I had an awakening, an epiphany, a bright light. I don't know what to call it. I decided I'd made it 30 odd years against the odds and I was still here, it was time for me. I did things I liked, I did things I would never have done before. I ditched the tracksuit and became a whore for anything with leopard print. <laughs> I started going to queer events and, and made friends. Now obviously not everyone is going to be a friend, but if I'm too much for someone, then they are not enough for me. I got involved with local politics and activism with people who have the same ethics and values as me. And just for your information, it's not the Tories. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the Tories. <laughs> I embraced my love for poetry and wasn't embarrassed about it anymore. I accepted my size and that I'm not too fat to wear a dress or a skirt. For years, I thought the song lyrics that summed up my life best was the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. Now, it's simply the best. I would love to end this story all Disney and say that I'm now back in that Hallmark movie, sat on the sofa, and my story is complete. It's not there yet, but I'm now through the door and no longer outside. And that kid that I said was going to be a superhero, she's now 18, away at uni and smashing life. Thank you.
and that story was from Georgia. Yeah, I think working with Georgia on her story was quite different from everyone else because Georgia came into the project and wasn't 100% sure how much she wanted to engage with everyone, how much she wanted to share. And we had a, a time we sat together and kind of worked on lots of it because she didn't want to have to have a happy ending that felt forced. Mm, and I remember that. Yeah, we talked a lot about that and the idea of approaching the door uh, in the Christmas film and being able to ask to come in but it being in Georgia's ball court whether she wanted to and I think a lot of the project was like that and Georgia really brought so much humour to the groups she made us all laugh she is as she would say herself deeply inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) and hysterically funny and she just brought such a lightness and made the experience so easy yeah Um, As a facilitator, she just made everyone kind of ease into the space, which was just really beautiful. And it's been a privilege to watch her blossom since doing it as well. Absolutely. Um, I feel like it's been a privilege to get to know George better. Um, I agree. Yeah. And And I love working with her, but I also really love having her in my life as a friend. And um, I asked her to reflect again on how it felt to take part and she sent us some words, so I'll let her tell you how it felt for you now. So Georgia says, Opal Nights changed my life in ways I couldn't even have imagined. Although always a member, in inverted commas, of the Portsmouth LGBTQIA community, I was on the outside. I looked in from the outside, jealous for the queer friendships I saw. Nobody apart from myself was to blame for this, I ostracised and convinced myself that they wouldn't want me around, that nobody would like me. Through Opal Nights, I found lifelong friends, a relationship, and also that a lot of people resonated with my story. Being stopped on the street by strangers who had been to the show, telling me how amazing I was and how they found and recognised bits of themselves in my story was something I wasn't used to, but it did feel amazing. 